preach on the Sabbath on Labor Day. It's totally unintentional, but maybe it's what they call a God thing. Because as I was preparing for this sermon, I got to thinking about my own life working. So when I was 16, I got my first real job. And I wonder if you remember your first real job. You know, I had babysat before and there was money under the table, but this was like I had a pay stub. So I went down to the Harkins Movie Theater. It's a huge 24 screen theater near our house. And I had a friend who worked there and I asked him to give me a reference and to get me the job and he did. And I started working. To this day, cleaning a popcorn popper is still the hardest job I have ever had. And it's really not close. That is disgusting hard work that leaves you with cuts on your hands and your clothes dyed four different colors. And I did all of that for the minimum wage. Would not do that for minimum wage again. But I'm sure that we've all had that feeling when you get your first job, it, it, it feels something like freedom. Like up until that point, you're completely dependent on your parents for everything. And then suddenly you're gonna be rich. You're gonna bring in so much money, you won't know what to do with it. Like quite honestly, when I got my first job as a pastor, that was my first kind of real adult job, like the job that was supposed to literally be able to take care of myself with. And I had that feeling, I'm gonna have so much money and be so comfortable. And then I got the first paycheck. I was so excited, independence, I'd finally done it. Self-sufficiency, I could take care of myself and still probably have something left over to buy myself something nice. And then rent was due. And then I had to go to the grocery store and it turns out that, that did you know mom and dad have been going to the grocery store all these years? There wasn't just food in the cabinets. Then the gas tank was empty and I had to fill it. And then every paycheck there was a little line with money taken over for something called taxes. And so I had envisioned this world where my work would put me on easy street. And then I learned it's actually a little bit more complicated than that. There's more that goes into it. So work is this really funny thing because on one hand, work is extremely important. There's a whole school of philosophers who have surmised that work is what makes us human. That taking the raw material of the earth and turning it into something useful is what provides our lives meaning and purpose. And the world around us, the devices we use, everything that we see is the product of the work of others. Value is derived from work. You wouldn't buy something unless somebody had put work into it. And your life would be near impossible without it. And yet, sometimes we elevate work especially as individuals to an almost sacred plane. There's nothing we can't do if we're, not, if we're willing to work hard enough. And yet as Christians, we're called to depend on God for everything. Do you see the kind of paradox here? So how do we remember that? That work is really important, that we're called to act in the world, but 
what we can accomplish is not actually the most important thing about us? How do we remember that even when we've achieved total earth self-sufficiency, and I don't know that that's possible, frankly, that we are still dependent on the one who sustains life? This is part of what Sabbath is meant to do, taking a day off a week. It refocuses us on God, on the source of our being. And to do that, you actually have to lay down the other things, which doesn't mean that they're not important. But when we practice Sabbath, we lay down our own work and abilities in order to focus on God. So let's hear our scripture from today from the second chapter of Genesis. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. On the sixth day, God finished the work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. May God bless this reading. One of the most common uh, questions that the Bible deals with is, is the topic of idolatry. And idolatry is this thing that happens when you elevate something to the status of God. And so in the Old Testament, you get this image of the Israelites building a gold calf, right? And worshiping the gold calf instead of God, who's with Moses on Sinai. So sometimes idolatry is quite clear because, of course... You can see the calf, and they're calling it God. But sometimes it's not that clear. Because, of course, there's another way that it plays a part in our room, in our world. There are things that we accidentally elevate to the status of God. Even if we're not calling them God, we still give them the traits of God. We still ascribe what is only God's to these things in our lives. And so in the Bible, there's this constant concern that we mix up who God is for the things that aren't God. So in the middle of the 20th century, there was this theologian named Paul Tillich, and he explained it in terms of things that are ultimate. Faith, he explained, was about ultimate things. Ultimate means final. Those things that were left, that were last, that when everything else ended would remain. So in one of his books, he wrote, man, like every living being, is concerned about many things, above all, about those which condition his very existence. If a situation or concern claims ultimacy, it demands the total surrender of him who accepts this claim. It demands that all other claims, all other concerns, be sacrificed. So we have all sorts of ultimate claims in our lives, or at least things which want to be ultimate, which want to be final, which want us to sacrifice all else to them. So until it says this, when God is our ultimate concern, what are those things that are to be sacrificed? We could call those things penultimate concerns, which means next last or I really prefer my, one of my good friend's definitions, penultimate, the second to last pen you'll ever need. But penultimate means those things which are not final. 
That doesn't mean they're not important. Notice there. They're not, doesn't mean they're not important. And for Christians, God is supposed to be the most important thing. Other things are supposed to be subordinated to God. And so we can think, what are the things that are really important but that are not God? What are the penultimate things? Because the warning in Scripture is that if we're not careful, we often get these things mixed up. So things like family, things like country, things like a political leader, things like an ideology, even an individual church community or building can become penultimate. We know that when we gather here, it's important, but we should not mix up what happens here with the final stage of God's creation as the final development and evolution of what it means to be followers of Christ. We are striving towards the ultimate, towards the end, towards what God desires for community, for creation. But we are not that end. Church can absolutely become an idol, however, if we do treat it as the end. But I think this list, especially in our culture with its focus on individualism and self-sufficiency, I think we can add work to this list of something that we turn into an ultimate thing when in reality it is penultimate. I mean that we often do think that things are up to us, that we are the answers to our challenges, that we are the ones the world depends on. In this way, we can read that the call to Sabbath is not just about rest. It's not just about remembering who we are as God's people or recovering from all the work we can do. It is about those things as well. But Sabbath is actually an act of faith in which we refocus on God, in which we recall that God is God and we are not. Our work in life and read that as broad as you want. Our work, which gives us meaning, which is important, which we should celebrate and continue to do, is not that which in the end gives life, which nurtures us, which in the end will remain. It is penultimate. And the Sabbath refocuses our attention on that which is ultimate, God. When we choose to rest on the Sabbath, when we put aside our work, our self-improvement, when we stop doing what we think needs to be done, then we are able to depend on the goodness of God, who himself rested on the seventh day. But of course, resting, uh, depending on God can be difficult. There are so many messages in the world and pressures in life that tell us that it is all up to us, that we are the source, that we are the ones who will provide. We can forget that all of creation is a gift created and sustained by a loving God who declares it all good. So we have this tendency because of the nature of our society to accidentally make it all about us, what we can do or our own accomplishments we lose focus on God's grace permeating every part of our life. 
So when we were in Switzerland in June, uh, one of the things that we had to do was visit the Museum of the Reformation, which I thought was great. But that's because I'm a nerd. But at the very end, there was this video by the theologian Karl Barth. Uh, in it, he laments the fact that we have, in many ways, forgotten how to listen to God. We either believe that God has stopped speaking, or that God has died, or that what God had to do was in the past. But we, in so many ways, do not believe that God is still speaking in our world. So for Bart, God still speaks. And if we had the ears to hear and the eyes to see, we could continue to receive a new message and new call from God in the world. And I've become more familiar with Bart because of a, a contemporary theologian now named Andrew Root, who wrote a book called Church in the Crisis of Decline. And the crisis, he says, that most churches and most Christians feel is a lack of resources. We don't have enough people or money or whatever. Resources, things. But in many congregations, he laments, it's almost as though our work has become the thing that is the most important. If we just do more, things might work out. There might be more resources. But for Root, this is because in the modern secular world, we don't actively believe that God still communicates. Root calls it the imminent frame, which is this kind of fancy way of saying that we really believe that everything that is is observable and there's nothing beyond the observable universe. The church doubles down on this when we think about what it is we have to do to be more faithful. We double down on our work, do more, produce more, change more, all because we think the goal is to get more resources in the door. We worry about the church because we've begun to see the church as wholly imminent, as part of this world and not something that God speaks into existence. And so Root describes Karl Barth's theology through this lens. He says, there is a crisis in the church, but it is not the crisis of declining numbers. The crisis is whether or not we can hear God speaking, whether we believe that God speaks continually today do we believe that God will do a new thing or do we believe that it is all up to us and we're all alone? Because remember, everything you can see, that's all penultimate. It's not final. It's important in its time. But it's not what will remain. And this is the thing with faith. As long as as long as God, the ultimate, continues to speak, there will always be church. It will take different forms, of course, it has throughout all of history, but it will always remain. There will always be Christian community as long as there are those with ears to hear and eyes to see. What Root is pointing at is the same thing that I've been talking about regarding Sabbath. 
You know, if last week we spoke about Israel needing to remember who they are as they leave Egypt, then this week it's about us remembering who God is. After all, the entire scope of the Bible is not about a God who is cold and distant, but one who draws close to us to the point of becoming one of us in Christ. This God speaks, hears, walks, and is in relationship with all creation. And sometimes we just forget. We stop listening in a way that allows us to hear. But what would it happen if we reversed that, if we took time to actually try to hear what God was saying today, here and now? You know, Root, when he's talking about Karl Barth, says that Barth's theology was one of waiting, which is a word that we don't like to hear very much. What's next? Well, wait. Because for Bart, rather than try to figure out what we can do, rather to work harder at the same tasks, rather than place the future of our own faith in our own hands and what we can get done, what if we waited for God to speak, to act in creation? Think about Elijah in that cave. We've all heard the story. God says, go to the cave and I will speak to you. And God is not in the earthquake and God is not in the fire, but then it gets quiet and God speaks. Or think about Jesus sending his followers before that first Pentecost day when he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait. I'm going to do something. This is what Sabbath is. Once a week, God wants us to remember that God is God and we are not. We get nervous because we think that if we let up our relentless paces in life, we will let opportunities slip through the cracks, especially in a world that is changing as fast as ours. But actually slowing down and resting allows us to do the one action that may be most transformative for ourselves in the world calls us to listen and to refocus our attention on the one who is our source. Sabbath is in part about setting aside those things that are penultimate in order that we might focus on that which is ultimate. It is about remembering that God is God and that it isn't all up to us. And it calls us to silence doesn't mean the things that we set aside aren't important. They'll be there on Monday. You can pick them up tomorrow. But we need to focus on those things which are more than that. You know, one of my favorite stories of faith, and I've told this before, but I will tell it again, I promise, um, comes from an interview that Mother Teresa gave some years ago. She was asked, what do you say when you pray? And she said, Oh, I don't say anything. I just listen. And the interviewer asked, what does God say? Oh, she responded, he doesn't say anything. He just listens. And I wonder what would happen if we just listened. If we just stopped rushing from one thing to the next and saw Sabbath as a time to be quiet in order that we might hear God speak. How could that refresh our lives? How could that refocus our purpose? 
Because Sabbath is about refocusing, about spending time with the one who is the ultimate answer to our lives. Sabbath is about setting aside all of those things so that we can listen, so that we can hear and respond to God's call anew. Will you pray with me? Oh, holy and gracious God, we give you thanks this morning for this chance to be together and to listen to your word. We know that you are a God who continues to speak to us and we give you thanks for your faithful call. May we not forget all that you are, all that you call us to, all that you put before us so that we and all things might be followers of your way and bearers of your good community. We pray this in your holy name.